0: Resiliency Within, with host Elaine Miller Karras, is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com.
1: Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine Miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karris.
2: Hello, I am your host, Elaine miller Karris. And today's show will explore post-traumatic healing and growth for those who've lived through the experience of human trafficking. I also want to let you all know that we're also on Facebook Live at Resiliency Within if you want to see Kay Thomas, my guest and I, as we talk together for the next hour. So I will say a little bit more about Kay in just a few minutes, but I want to talk a little bit first about human trafficking. It also has been called modern slavery or trafficking in persons, and it's both a grave crime and it's a human rights abuse. It compromises national and economic security, undermines the rule of law, and harms the well-being of individuals and communities everywhere. It is estimated that there are 24.9 million victims worldwide at any given time. Many survivors of human trafficking have experienced severe psychological, financial, physical, and sexual violence with long-lasting mental, physical, legal, and financial impacts. People who are trafficked can be of any age, Race, ethnicity, sex, gender identity, sexual orientation, nationality, immigration status, cultural background, religion, socioeconomic class, and educational attainment level. So, in other words, it could happen to any one of us and anyone who we love and want to protect in our lives. So, Kate Thomas, my guest today, is a trained trauma therapist and newly licensed. Congratulations, Kate. And a survivor of sexual and relationship violence, as a clinical training manager for San Diego's North County Lifeline Project Life, Kay has provided trauma therapy, reprocessing, case management, and emergency response to survivors of sex and labor trafficking and exploitation. The core mission of North County Lifeline, where she works, um, is human trafficking prevention and intervention program. Project Life, which is which stands for Living in Freedom from exploitation is to support human trafficking victims on their path to recovery and self-reliance. So it's really important that we all remember that hope. there's hope. And, and I think that Kay addressed how we, can, how we can have that journey of hope. So she's also a co-founder and co-chair of the California Human Trafficking Advocates Network for Collaboration and Empowerment called CHANCE. And also to say a little bit more that survivors of human trafficking and exploitation are are no stranger to the reality that that healing from trauma is really a lifelong process. So Kay will share personal and professional experiences of post-traumatic growth and experiences of their work with survivors of human trafficking and and exploitation and practical tips of how to meet persons who've been trafficked. I love the metaphor, um, Kay, is at the shore of resiliency. A longer biography of Kay is on our Voice America Resiliency Within webpage, and you can learn more about the wonderful work she's been doing in the world. And if, if and I also want to say that if you are being trafficked, or maybe you know someone that needs help, you can call or text the National Human Trafficking Hotline. It's 1-888-373-7888. You can also text two, three, three, seven, three, three. You can text help or info. I'm going to say it again. Text two, three, three, seven, three, three. It's open 24 hours, seven days a week. It's available in English and Spanish and 200 more languages. So please, if you need help, reach out. So Kay, over to you. So as we're here together today is there anything that's fresh on your mind that you want to start with as we get as we begin
3: um you know there's what's coming to mind for me right now just as i was listening to you speak was this idea just that resiliency is self-defined resiliency is while there is kind of this common definition resiliency is individualized and it the meaning comes alive in every individual person as i was hearing you speak and I don't know. I think that's just kind of what was coming up for me to start. Well, I just I, I love that you actually started with that because I do ask my guests what their
2: definition of resiliency I, <laughs> I as, because I because I have found uh, Kay that there are probably as many definitions of resiliency as there are humans on the planet, that's and true. that actually it's actually quite different for many people in terms of how they define it. Um, so, like for ex- example, a very common one is a person's ability to bounce back, and many people cannot stand that because bounce back to what? To being oppressed or being, you know, being harmed, but rather I can stand maybe taller and I've learned things like, and I know this, this show is about post-traumatic growth. So I'm just curious about what, how would you define this for yourself since you started up started out with such a great,
3: yeah. <laughs> yes, introduction. You know, I think for me, resiliency, I mean, yes, there is that bounce back component to an extent, but I think for resiliency to me means being able to move through my day and get the things done that I need to get done, right? Like, and I I think a lot about the community resiliency model and the trauma resiliency model and this idea of us having our, our zone, right? The space where we have that sense of wellness and That's what resiliency is to me. It doesn't mean that I feel awesome. It doesn't mean that I feel like I can conquer the world, but it does mean that I can stay present in my body and do what I need to do in that moment, whether it's caring for myself or doing my job or paying my bills, because maybe that feels stressful, whatever it might be to be in that space where I can feel embodied in who I am. Um, And I think that's, that's the key for me when I think about resiliency is I think that's the term that's been thrown around a lot since COVID began. And you know people saying like, oh, we're so resilient. And I don't disagree with that. And simultaneously, I don't think resilience, while it's a great thing, I don't necessarily think that it's always a pleasant experience to be resilient. Sometimes we're doing the thing that we don't want to do, and that's resilient. And so for me, it's more about how do I allow myself to find those ways to stay embodied in my truth and who I am, so that I can accomplish the things that not only I need to, but that I want to throughout my life.
2: Well, you sound very empowered when you say that, because I also agree with you. I think I probably have a very common definition because um, oftentimes people think, oh, well, if you're resilient that you don't suffer, you're not acknowledging my vulnerabilities. And actually the opposite is true, right. is that in order to acknowledge sometimes our strength and how we get through things is also to really lean into our suffering and our vulnerabilities and know that that's part of how we walk in the world. And we can still have those things and still do your activities of daily living and, and be uh, the person who uh, shows up in relationship, and, but ne- sometimes sad. Sometimes happy, sometimes in between those, those experiences, maybe even sometimes angry. But it doesn't mean that we are so, let's say, out of our zone that we're saying things that are hurtful to others or not being able to get out of bed. And I think that's been one of the challenges of COVID, of course, is that, you know, people's lives have, ch- have been so changed and there's been so much suffering and loss and that is not done as we know that the, you know, the uh, this new virus has um, been spreading throughout the world and causing um, continued harm. But I also, I want to ask you some, um, a question, you know, as a survivor of your own trauma, what has post-traumatic growth uh, looked like in your life personally, Kay?
3: Mm. Yeah, so, you know, um, I'm a survivor of both sexual and relationship violence, um, you know, beginning at a very, very young, young age, almost as an infant to my uh, high school years, almost as an adult with lots of different perpetrators and folks who have done me harm over my life, folks that I knew well, folks that I didn't know well. And so I I share those things to say that that has impacted my post-traumatic growth, first and foremost, in that um, there were so many different individuals who did me harm, severe harm, physical, sexual, emotional, psychological, in my life growing up. And that made it really difficult as an adult to kind of pinpoint where do I even start with my trauma, with my healing? There's so many people that I I need to explore this harm with. And even as an adult, there have been times over the last couple of years where I've had uh, trauma memories resurface um, that I didn't, I had an idea that something maybe had happened that night, but I didn't have an exact memory of it. And that's happened for me where, you know, those, those implicit uh, memories have been triggered for me in the last couple of years as well. And so I think for me, one of the things that I've discovered in my journey of healing and my own post-traumatic growth is that there isn't one way to heal. You hear that term all the time that like healing isn't linear. And I absolutely agree with that. And specifically thinking about this idea that when we look at nature and we look at the rhythms of nature, that conflict actually feeds and nurtures life within nature, that there are these kind of natural moments of expansion and growth and contraction, right? Just like those waves on the, on the shore, right, that are coming in and going out. And so I think for me, one of the things that I had to unlock first and foremost was I didn't need to figure it all out at one time. There wasn't going to be this one magical therapist that took care of everything for me. I've had many therapists throughout my life. I've done many forms of treatment throughout my life. And each time I get something new, I, I find a new piece of myself. I gain a part of myself back or create a new part of myself I didn't even know was missing.
2: So you're really talking about it's been a journey. So that's not like a a destination point, but a, a, an evolution as you go through life. And I think I've seen that to be true as well. And many times people go, I want it to be over. Well, there might be aspects of it that, that seem done, but there may be others, other unfolding as you go through life. But you said something that I really want to highlight, too, is some of you who may be sitting here listening about trauma, is that trauma sometimes can kind of rear its head mm-hmm. um, even if it's been years and years later. So there can be multi-sensory reminders or triggers, as you said, that you know, you're feeling you're feeling pretty good and all of a sudden I feel a little wonky. I feel a little off. What is that? Sometimes it's not even connected to a cognition of why you feel that way, because it may have something to do with, you know, you said, like your definition of resiliency is being embodied. Part of that embodiment is also reading your nervous system and having, being able to identify if you feel a little wonky. And so that is an important part because then you also have information. Well, how can I maybe feel a little bit better if this is happening to me? And are there things that, like you said, you're a therapist and people come to see you and you have a a really um, hearty therapy program at North County Lifeline, and that's very important for some individuals. And yet there's some individuals that may not be drawn to therapy. They may want another kind of, of help. So I'm just curious too, if I can ask you this question is what has helped you the most, or is there a few things, and maybe the most is not the right, the right uh, qualifier, when things have gotten tough for you? Is there a few things or some things that have helped you get through those difficult times?
3: Yeah, you know, I think there are a couple of things, and I think it's definitely along that journey, it's kind of depended on where I've been at as to what's been helpful, but I think Some of the things that have helped get me through tough times have really been the relationships that I fostered with my partner, with my friends, with specific family members, kind of that chosen family that surrounds me and supports me. And so I think that is something on those days where I'm really struggling, where I can't see my own progress or I can't see my own strengths, finding and creating those healthy relationships that not only honor and celebrate me, but also help Keep me accountable for my own behavior as well. Have been really important. Um, I also think you know, education in school has been super empowering. But more specifically than that, shifting my attention from a space of deficiency, and looking at my weaknesses and what I need to fix and moving towards a space of abundance. And I think as survivors of trauma, a lot of times we think of all the things we need to fix about ourselves and maybe the the strengths that we have, like, for example, being able to read a room full of people and determine who's safe or who's not. That's a skill. Um, And so leaning into, right, maybe how do I develop and grow that skill as a source of strength for myself? And so school allowed me to do that in the sense that it allowed me to hone my ability to public speak my ability to understand and read people but it was more about leaning into that space of like here's something i actually gained from my trauma that my trauma gave me it was a gift that i was given and i chose to foster that gift and grow it as opposed to saying here's all these things i'm not good at that i need to fix
2: and and as you say that you know i'm very wedded to the idea of paradigm shifts is that yes it's important to know that something happened to us Mm -hmm. but then what were the strengths? What did we learn from those experiences? And what were those things that even in the worst of times that there was this little spark that helped us get through? And I think that when we can shine a light on it, we can be a guide out of sometimes the darkness. And I know that you have been that for many, many people. And and that's kind of my next question is that um, how is your post-traumatic growth influenced, you know, your practice with people and your work in the community? Because we've been talking about individuals, but you are really a community organizer. And I'm really interested in highlighting some of the work that you've done in San Diego as part of this trafficking collaborative that has been really important, I think, as a model for the country, actually for the world. So, okay, Kay, over to you. I know that's a big question. Yeah, well, I can
3: start, you know, I can talk a little bit about the the bigger piece first and then I can talk a little bit more specifically about work with clients. But I think, so here in San Diego, one of the things that we are so passionate about here in San Diego period is this idea of addressing problems from a collective space and a collaborative space. And so um, that is very much who we are as a county. And so that is no different than the way we've addressed human trafficking here in San Diego. We have a very large advisory board that is filled with, professionals, folks with lived experience, folks with um, community programs, folks who are bringing different things to the table from education, from the law system, from all different places uh, to really address this issue. But in addition to that, Lifeline in particular and and our program, Project Life, and one of the reasons why I chose to come to this program when I graduated from my master's was that project life is intentional about removing any of those barriers to services that often exist within human trafficking. Um, you know, if you were a male survivor, if you were an LGBTQ survivor, for example, there's often not services. If you're a labor trafficking survivor, there may not be services. Um, you know, age also impacts, gender impacts that. And so I say all that to say, um, you know, our agency was really intentional about saying we don't want anyone's identity to be a barrier to services. And so, I came to Lifeline with that in mind, that I wanted to work for an organization that wanted to help all folks who had experienced human trafficking. And through that process, seeing the way that Lifeline has partnered with many agencies throughout San Diego County who are leaders and experts in the industry as well, to really fill those gaps and find those spaces where maybe folks need more, um, like for example, we have a very, it's called the REACH Coalition, which is a, a compiled of, I believe, about 11 different agencies right now in San Diego County. And we just had a powerful training last week on uh, trafficking and the history of trafficking and exploitation within the Native and Indigenous communities in the U.S. And what that looks like, talking about our own experiences of having residential and boarding schools in the U.S., right? We're hearing all about that happening in Canada right now, But that also happened in the US very consistently. Um, And so talking about what that's looked like, some of those were open until the 1980s in the US, that's only 40 years ago. Um, And so things like that, thinking about how do we help move the needle to a space of cultural, not just competency, but responsiveness, right? Not just that I know, but that I'm responding from a space of compassion and understanding and education. Um, And then also things like our Chance Network, the um, California Human Trafficking Advocates Network for Collaboration and Empowerment. Um, We have, I want to say close to 13 counties right now in California who are represented and about 25 different agencies that attend on a regular basis. And our goal is really to create this network, not only of providers, but also folks with lived experience to come to this space and move the needle forward. I think something that we've all found uh, is that the table, it's not about, you know, getting a seat at the table, because the table was never invented for us. The table was never created for us. So this isn't about getting a seat at the table. This is about creating a whole new space where we can thrive and specifically center survivor voices.
2: Well, So tell, tell me more about that. So, so this is actually the survivors are encouraged to come and be part of this.
3: Yes. And, and
2: so they have equal um, voice at the table so that they can help create um, policies um, and from their lived experience of what they needed that they didn't get. That might have made the difference of them getting out of the human trafficking situation. Is that what are the the yeah. uh, the goals?
3: Okay. Yeah. So that is one of our goals is to start doing um, work, you know, kind of in the process right now of creating more structure. But that's our goal is to have that space of legal advocacy In addition to something else that our program is doing, and this is Project Life specifically, is our Survivor Advisory Board, which is a group of folks with lived experience in various areas of their journeys, some just starting out, some who have been on that road for many, many years, um, helping them identify their strengths and build and grow their strengths so that they can then turn around and say, you know what, this is the power that I have in my story, and this is how I want to inform policies with lifeline or trainings that are happening, or I want to do speaking engagements and this is what I want it to look like. And so our goal with our survivor advisory board is not only to have a group of folks who can help give us real-time feedback about the work that we're doing, but also so that we can help them grow and empower them to do the next big thing in their lives as well.
2: Well, I'm also hearing, Kay, that this is also imbued with your spirit that you said that you learned that you had to start paying attention to what your strengths are. You know, are in the present moment and be embodied with those strengths. So I can see that this is embodied in chance, in the organization that you co-founded. So um, and how and and so how do you find people like let's say someone's listening that they're from your area of the world and they want to um, be involved in this? How would they get a hold of you?
3: Yeah, um, if you want to send me an email to K Thomas, it's K T H O M A S at n. Uh, that is my email. I would love to chat with you about either engaging in our Chance Network, which is all throughout the state of California, or even our Survivor Advisory Board, which includes people from all over the, all over the nation right now that we work with. And so the other
2: question I have about this is, so you're in San Diego, but you have connections in other parts of the country. So this is important for people that are listening mm-hmm. and you can connect them to those. But I'm just wondering, how have, how do you think these networks are impacting, for example, law enforcement? Because I know that, that um, many times people that, let's say, have been human trafficked for the sexual industry have sometimes been incarcerated themselves for what they didn't really choose to do, but were forced to do. So is this um, a topic of conversation and is that changing policy? What, How is that unfolding as these coalitions are coming together?
3: Yeah, so we are really grateful in the state of California and specifically in San Diego, we have something called uh, the Lawyers Club, which is the collaborative of predominantly female identifying legal professionals who have been pushing advocacy work forward for years. And so in the state of California, Uh, I want to say it went into effect in 2018, they actually were able to pass a law to have expungement and vacature occur for anyone who may have been incarcerated during their trafficking experience. And those charges were related to that to help remove that completely from their record. And so we've seen really incredible work over the last couple of years specifically I'll give a shout out to the name of the organization is free to thrive which is here in san diego and they are uh, legal providers specifically for human trafficking and exploitation and so that is a space where we've seen it change and we've seen a lot of legal advocacy shift and change over the last uh, five or six years or so, but that's in the state of California. Not every state is like that. And so a lot of the work that we do here in the state of California, especially as we're pushing these innovative laws into practice and we're seeing how they roll out and we're kind of learning the, the little uh, tweaks we have to make along the way to make it more effective, then we're also pushing that information out to other states, to other networks that we're a part of saying, how can we help you make this process happen? How can we help you make your program more trauma-informed or make your program more survivor-centered and and survivor-informed as well?
2: Well, my question that's kind of piggybacking on that too is if a survivor... Um, is called to testify in court mm-hmm. against the a perpetrator of the crime against them. Do you provide services to help? I imagine that would be a very difficult process for them to face the yeah. the, the person who's trafficked them. Um, so what do you do in those cases?
3: Yeah. So we do provide services for folks. Um, You know, I myself have actually sat in the witness box with somebody while they testified against their trafficker. And a lot of that has looked like, of course, you know, folks, um, often it's someone's case manager who's been giving them extensive emotional support and kind of doing a lot of the day-to-day needs with them. And so oftentimes it's that individual that will go with them. And at When I went, I was that individual's case manager. And a lot of that really looked like us prepping over the first couple of weeks before we knew the hearing was coming up of, you know, what are you going to bring with you to the courtroom that maybe um, is something that can be self-soothing, right? Maybe that's a spray that you put on your clothes that you can smell. Maybe that's a little something that you have in your pocket, like a little charm that you can touch or hold. Um, What are some things that are going to help you kind of be back in your body again. And not necessarily that you're going to feel great, but that you're going to feel grounded or that maybe you even have a sense of hope. And so, um, you know, a lot of that looked like us. She had pictures of her her child on her phone that she looked at while we sat in that waiting room, waiting for our time to go. Um, We did a lot of the help now skills that come from the community resiliency and the trauma resiliency model of drinking water, of pushing against surfaces and tables, using our five senses to really stay in our body. Um, and then from there, so, you know, I spent some time prepping her for a couple of weeks prior to that occurring. Um, and she was very, this individual in particular was really struggling, a lot of body somatic complaints right before, a lot of upset stomach and components and things like that. Um. So working with her on those pieces and then after she finished testifying, again, going back through that process of like, just like with, with the community resiliency model or the trauma resiliency model, going to the end of the story, right? And reminding her like, you are safe and this is over now in the sense that like, you're not going to have to testify again. We know that that's not happening again. This is over now. You've made it through this process. You're now in a safe room without your trafficker and his entire family staring at you. Without law enforcement staring at you, without detectives staring at you that were part of the operation that you that you came that you were recovered from, um, and really helping her move to that space of wellness and resiliency, I get to go home and see my child now. I get to do this. I get to do that, and really focusing on those spaces of wellness for her, so that we could shift her attention and her body. And so we have had to do that. Um, it you know it's. It's, uh, it's not an unusual thing for folks to have to testify against their traffickers, um, especially depending on the situation if they are undocumented. A lot of times the cooperation with law enforcement is required in order for someone to get their continued presence letter. And so if someone does not, there's that coercive component to an extent where... Someone has to cooperate or they won't be able to stay here legally. Um, and so that can, that can create a lot of stress for folks, right? Like, Oh my
2: goodness. Yes. And I'm, I'm just struck too about the amount of courage that a person would have to have Absolutely. to, to really, to go to court and face the perpetrator. And with, even with maybe there's something like, okay, I can get my status letter, but that, you know, when you face the person that's abused you to that, you know degree of often degradation mm-hmm. um, it just takes so much courage and I and it sounds to me that North County Lifeline and the work that you've been doing is really comprehensive it's you're doing not only the counseling you're helping being an advocate I know that you help with housing as well mm-hmm. and other components that I really want to talk more about um, after we take our break Um because I think that I really want our listeners to know the comprehensive services that are afforded because people need to know there's an, also an avenue and a journey out of where they are because there may be folks out there thinking, I can't ever leave this. I'm stuck. But I think you might say, would you say there's some hope of coming out of that? Look, at I know that I'm Absolutely. sure there's a smile on your face. Yes. Absolutely. Yes.
3: There's, there is. There is.
2: So um, we will be back um, after our break. This is Elaine miller karras at Resiliency Within speaking with Kay Thomas from North County Lifeline about post-traumatic growth and that it is possible for individuals who have been trafficked to find a new way. And we'll talk more about it in detail as we come back from our break. So, Kay, thank you so much for the conversations we've had so far. I can't wait to hear what more wisdom you have to share with us in just a couple more minutes. So we will, we will be back in just a few moments.
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The
0: Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma informed and resiliency focused individuals and in communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information.
4: Elaine miller Kerris' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. Elaine miller Kerris co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at TraumaResourceInstitute.com. That's TraumaResourceInstitute.com trauma resource institute build resilience awaken hope your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness
1: this is resiliency within with elaine miller karis to reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to one 472 5792 That's one 472 5792 You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show.
2: This is Elaine Miller-Karis, and I am with Kay Thomas, and we are talking about post-traumatic growth um, for individuals who have been who've been human trafficked, and we are going to continue our conversation with Kay, and I was just um, talking to them at during the break about the international impact of the work they're doing in San Diego. And so, Kay, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, we have an international audience on Resiliency Within, and how people from from other countries as well as other states, could um, find out more about the work that you're doing. I was sharing that I participated in a conference a couple of years ago before the pandemic. You and I actually presented together, uh-huh. um, and it was really well attended. And there were there was the DAs, there were uh, many professionals, and there were many um, survivors. Thrivers, I'll say, who had really um, experienced the post-traumatic growth that you're talking about. So, how could we create these kinds of collaborative movements all over the world? Because if there are that many millions of people are suffering as a result of human trafficking, that means that there's, the, there's the potential of change. And you know that we're, I know that you and I are both are committed to that. So, over to you.
3: Absolutely. So I will say the conference that we met at, uh, well not met, that we saw each other at was called the HT Radar Conference. And that is actually part of a larger community effort in San Diego County. We have a large advisory board with like 10 to 11 different subcommittees. And the HT Radar subcommittee is specifically focused on research and growth around the science of human trafficking, not only the impact, but how to halt experiences of trafficking, how to prevent experiences of human trafficking trafficking as well. And so to give a plug for that, this year, the HT Radar Conference, it's back and it's going to be virtual. And I believe it's October 15th this year. Um, So if you are even international individuals, you are welcome to attend. Um, There's a lot of fantastic information that's often presented, not just by San Diego experts, but experts throughout the nation, throughout the world, and kind of Thinking about that specifically, some of the things that we do on a regular basis is that San Diego and Seattle are kind of the two spearheads of the nation on anti-trafficking work. And one of the reasons is because San Diego is so incredibly collaborative in the way that we address issues and from a holistic community approach. And so one of the things that we do on a regular basis, um, especially prior to the pandemic, is we would frequently have international delegates from other countries throughout the world, um, sometimes one specific country, sometimes 10, 20 countries at the same time, who were having issues of identifying human trafficking, disrupting or halting human trafficking, or even preventing human trafficking or serving survivors. And so that is something that we do do. We meet with international delegates when they come in, we talk about the work that we're providing as service providers, and then also working in conjunction with the task force who provides the law enforcement Um, arm of the work that we do, talking about how they disrupt trafficking networks, how they identify trafficking that may be happening, how they work with uh, survivors of trafficking to push forward prosecutions, uh, restraining orders, whatever needs to be done. And so I say that to say, I always give a plug for the community resiliency model, which is one of Elaine's most incredible babies, um, because I find that Folks are hungry and thirsty for knowledge. And so I talk a lot about the resiliency zone. I talk a lot about the community resiliency model and how this is a model that's so easily replicated within the community to create that wellness and that well-being. And so that's another component that we talk about a lot because we utilize the community resiliency model as staff members to keep ourselves in our zone, but also to assist our clients with that everyday wellness skills. Um, but yeah, I mean so we we are. Constantly in spaces where we are looking to expand the work that we do as much as we can and also recognizing that, you know, there are aspects of our model that may not always be the most appropriate or the best fit for other spaces as well, but to to come together and to brainstorm even and to share ideas often really helps move the needle forward. Well, you know, I
2: have a question about prevention. Um, You know, one of the things I was reading to prepare for the show was that during COVID, um, many um, young people have been human trafficked as a result of their contacts through the internet. And people, you know, approaching them in ways where they have been very vulnerable. And so what are some of the responses that you have there? There may be parents listening. Sometimes it's not so easy to monitor your your children on the internet. And we know that there are certain pockets of kids that could be at greater risk, for instance, children that have been in foster care, but really anyone can be trafficked. So can you share with us a little bit about what are some of the prevention strategies?
3: Yeah, here in San Diego, since COVID began, we've seen about a 90% increase in minors who are being recruited and trafficked online, Um, and even adults who experience trafficking online because they lost their job, and maybe they um, were looking for other ways to gain employment or to make money during the pandemic, and traffickers are preying on the most vulnerable. And so, um, there are a couple of things. The first thing that comes to mind for me is if you go to our website, nclifeline.org, um, there's a on our page, our Project Life page, there's actually a great video that's about 11 minutes long that I talk about some tips for engaging your children in conversation around internet safety. The goal here is not to micromanage and be a helicopter parent, right? The goal is to empower our children to make smarter decisions. And so that's about teaching them healthy boundaries. That's about teaching them what healthy relationships look like. That's about having conversations about what is healthy disclosure with strangers online. There are many communities um, like the queer community, the LGBTQIA community. I myself as a member did this when I was a teenager when the internet came out, looking for folks who were like me, who had similar experiences, who had similar feelings and beliefs and thoughts because that didn't exist in my home and it didn't exist in the community that I was a part of and frankly, it wasn't safe for me to have those conversations. And so this is part of the process of having conversations with our youth and our children about how do we engage in the internet safely because that's the danger is only going to get bigger, I think, as the internet continues to expand, as technology continues to expand. Specifically, we saw a youth who was 10 years old who was uh, recruited through a game, the gaming app Roblox, which is just a gaming app that children often use. And they've used a lot during the pandemic, but it has a direct message feature. And so this young woman was lured out of her home through that process, just through a gaming app. Right. And so I think it's a combination of things, first and foremost, ensuring that we are having conversations with our kids and our youth and actively engaging them and being part of their life. And this isn't a one-time, just like trauma isn't that one-time healing. I go see that therapist, I'm in and out with that magic pill and that magic treatment, right? It's the same in all relationships, that it's not a one-time conversation, it's an ongoing conversation about how we build and maintain healthy relationships. Either, well, or and not as
2: you as you're talking, Kay, one of the things that came up to me is like, you hmm, have a ten year old who's playing a game, and someone messages them, and maybe they message them about the game. That there certainly can be an, a vulnerability, and also an innocence, right? And maybe they're maybe they're in a household where there is a lot of relationship, and yet the person sends them a message to go, oh, I can go to the playground and meet this person. So it may not be out of necessarily that they're being abused, or it may be that that person is manipulating them online. And I think this is the the aspect that, you know, I think parents need to really hear, because sometimes you say, oh, it's going to be it's going to only be this sort of child, but it really is any child, any child, any child could be manipulated in that way. Absolutely. And And then there's also this area, this idea of mistrust as well. Mm -hmm. So if a child has grown up in situations that have not been, let's say, optimal, they've had a lot of trauma, and so there can be mistrust of the adults in their their lives, Mm -hmm. if someone reaches out to them. In a kind way, which I know, and I really think this is important to underscore that traffickers may not, you know, come in as an angry, nasty person, but as the person going, "Oh, come, I'll buy you something. I'll do this or that," and then that becomes a, um, you know, really that that uh, invitation to yeah. someone who's vulnerable. And I and I know that it can happen in that way. I don't know if you have any comments to make about that.
3: I I, I absolutely agree with that, and I think especially within the. LGBTQIA communities within certain marginalized identities, I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, even myself, you know, while I don't identify as a as an individual who's experienced trafficking or commercial sexual exploitation, I can look back on my teenage years and think of many, many examples where people were trying to recruit me and I didn't realize it. I'm in my 30s now as an expert in the trafficking field. And I can look back and go, holy cow, that person was trying to to turn me out. They were trying to use my body for cash. They were trying to do this. They were trying to drug me. They were trying to do that. I can look back on that now and have a lot of clarity about some of those memories. But at the time, it just felt felt like someone who was safe to me, who was accepting of me and, and, and the things that I saw in myself, the things that my family wouldn't accept, the things that the, the people in my community, in my religious community, wouldn't accept. And so, while there was that element of danger, I lived in a space of danger all the time. Right? I'm a survivor of sexual and relationship trauma, and that happened for a long time, both in my home and outside of my home. And so, I say that to say, uh, you know, you have to you have to also hold that space and that recognition that sometimes it's about fulfilling that emotional safety need or that psychological safety that someone is looking for, that someone is craving. And so absolutely. And I think the other piece, too, that I'll just briefly mention is we still have a tendency, especially with trafficking, to really focus on this space of stranger danger. But it's going to be somebody that our child doesn't know that's going to sweep them off the street and pull them into a van But again, these are people who are forming relationships with your children over days, weeks, months, sometimes before that child leaves the home to go to them. And so that means that there's constantly that space for you to intercept as the parent, to teach them a new way of being, to teach them a healthier way of engaging. And so I think that's really important to keep in mind while that person may be a stranger to the parent. That individual was not a stranger to the child who was trafficked. That individual is not a stranger to the person that they exploited. They developed that relationship with them. And oftentimes that relationship is how they keep that person under their control, just like you might see in domestic violence or in other situations. And so, it's so
2: important is that what they call control. grooming, that they're grooming that person? Yeah, so yeah. So it's it's not coming with the heavy hand. It's no. coming with kindness and yes. maybe gifts and that sort of thing that the yes. child may be craving for that. And that can be a household where the parents are working all the time and the child's craving attention from the adults and is not getting them. It can be in the wealthiest of households. And yes. it also can be in ones where there's economic challenge. Yes. So this is why it crosses really all socioeconomic groups.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that grooming component, right? Of just that one foot in foot in the door technique, just a little bit more, just a little bit more until it becomes a normal process for that child or that individual to begin engaging on whatever that behavior is.
2: You know, so the, I kind of like to segue at, at this time in terms of promoting resilience and growth. And, you know, you mentioned the community resiliency model and the trauma resiliency model, certainly. But I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about how we can cultivate that in our in our youth, in our children, in adults who may be at risk for um, being groomed and, and, in this way. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit about um, resiliency and growth?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think, so there are a couple of things that come up for me um, when I think about the term resiliency in particular. And so just to give you a, a brief metaphor before I kind of jump into some of my thoughts about resiliency, when I talk about resiliency and healing from trauma, oftentimes I use this example of if you've lived in the desert your entire life, right? Say you live in Arizona, you live in Sedona, right? You've lived there your entire life. It's absolutely beautiful and gorgeous. And you've never seen the ocean before. Someone could explain to you the incredible vastness of the ocean, the way that the breeze feels across your face, how your feet feel when you're in the sand and the water is pulling the sand out a little bit, right? Someone could explain all of that to you, but you're never going to truly understand the vastness of the ocean until you stand on that shore. You're never going to understand how powerful and overwhelming the sea is, the ocean truly is until you see it for yourself. And I think about that a lot like resiliency and healing from trauma, that oftentimes we're trying to describe something to someone that they've never had any experience of before. And so part of the process of engaging in healing from trauma, in post-traumatic growth and resiliency, and specifically in the work that I've done with human trafficking survivors, is often about tracking those small wins. What are those small shifts that we're noticing, right? Maybe it's that you managed to get out of bed with your alarm. Morning. Sometimes we don't, right? Maybe it's that you managed to stick to your meal plan this week. You went out and bought groceries and you made your meals every single day this week, and so you helped stick to your budget. Maybe it's that you managed to get where you needed to go on time, or you made you finally made that appointment to see that therapist that you needed to see, that psychiatrist that you needed to see. I'm thinking about a friend who recently um, is recovering from surgery, and she is tracking the fact that like, she's able to walk three to five miles a day right now, and she's super stoked about that, that she has this energy back, that she's losing this pain, and she's in the process of recovering from surgery, right? She's noticing those small, small wins. And I think that's what really makes the difference. We oftentimes are looking for those big things like, oh, I'm healed from my trauma because I just got engaged to this incredible individual, and we're going to have this fairy tale wedding, and everything's going to be fine. I hate to break it to you, friend, it's not going to be <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because you're going to, stuff's going to come up. Things are going to pop up along the way. And so healing and trauma and resiliency is really about being able to track those small changes, those small shifts in our own personal tide of growth and well-being of of post-traumatic change. And so again, remembering, right, resiliency is self-defined. So whatever that looks like for the individual, first and foremost, Define that for yourself and then being able to track that from there. Where are the places? So when you say to. track that, what do you mean track that? You know, if I can say, okay, I'm mm-hmm. I am getting out of
2: bed this morning. So how would that lead me to be more resilient and being able to live, let's say, a more fulfilled life?
3: Yeah. So there are two things for me when I think about tracking. So the first thing I think of is literally what we talk about in the community resiliency model and the trauma resiliency model of tracking your body, right? So I managed to make this little thing happen today. Maybe it was just that I got out of bed on time and I took my meds and now I'm in the shower and I'm like, oh, why am I alive? Why am I doing this? Why am I out of bed, right? But being able to acknowledge and track my body and sit in that space of saying, I managed to get out of bed today and I couldn't do that yesterday. I managed to take my medication. I remembered to take my medication. I didn't do that yesterday. And noticing, what do you notice in your body as you say that? Maybe you notice a heat, a warmth, a lightness, a, a tingliness, right? To acknowledge those spaces of, ple- of of pleasant sensation or neutral sensation that give you that sense of embodiment and empowerment within yourself. So I think there's that component of making sure that we're tracking. So our- it's like small change leads to larger change. Like I was thinking, Absolutely. It,
2: you know that it rained in my part of Southern California last night? I don't know if it rained. It rained here too. You know, it rained yeah. the sand. And so, just so you all know, that in Southern California and we have not had rain. We are in a drought and it's the summer. We don't usually get rain. And Uh we had the most lovely, warm rain last night. And when I heard the sound of the rain, Mm -hmm. I took a deep breath. I mean, I could just feel this wellness come over my entire body. And it reminded me of being a little girl growing up in the Bay Area where we had a lot of rain when I was growing up. And it was just such a sweet memory. And so, it, are those the kinds of things you're saying? Because that was a tiny thing. Yeah. And uh, that certainly helped me through my day today.
3: Yeah. So okay. even those little moments, right? Those little moments of, of well-being, whether that's a success that you're like, wow, I managed to do that today. I managed to go grocery shopping with a mask on or whatever it may have been. Um, so it's that absolutely. And those spaces of well-being, those moments where you can really tap into like, where we're not constantly looking for the anxiety or the pain or the depression or the fear in our body. But those moments where we're able, for example, I had a moment of well-being yesterday with my dog where we just sat on the couch together and looked out the window and I looked at all the beautiful plants that I have that I cultivate in my home and I just laid there with him and it's been, a, last week was a really hard week. He um, apparently has a grass allergy and so he's had crazy hot spots all over all of his paws and so he kept me and my partner up almost all of the week last week. But yesterday, sitting in that moment of he's not heavily medicated, he's not biting his feet, we're just laying here together, relaxing and enjoying this, I can lean into the fact that, like, my puppy's getting better. And, like, it's not always going to be this way. I'm going to so get this, better sleep at
2: some point. Yeah, so this is what you, you know, because we often talk, you know, as as therapists and as people that we can kind of get stuck mm-hmm. in our healing journal, journey. Is this one of the ways that we can get un- unstuck, Kay, or are there other yeah. ways that you can... This is definitely one of
3: the ways I think the other thing that I think about when I think about getting unstuck is really going back and taking an honest look at whatever the thing is that you're struggling with and tracking that progress and change. So, for example, if it's, you know, you're depressive, the symptoms that you're really, really struggling with being able to and not necessarily that we're tracking the losses, but maybe we're tracking the wins. Right. Today, I managed to get out of bed. I'm going to put that on my calendar or I'm going to celebrate that somehow. I managed to take my meds something like that, right? Tracking those spaces where I think about specifically some of the folks that I've worked with in the past, one of them in particular that I want to mention yeah. is someone who had a, a psychotic disorder, right? And so for her, her trauma, we knew that we were going to work on her trauma, but to an extent, there are going to be elements of it that are always there. And so for her, tracking the change really looked like things like, how many days this week was I able to go where I, I didn't feel overwhelmed by my psychosis, Mm-hmm. How many days was I able to go where I could walk by that image of, you know this person, this person or this thing that was happening and and say to myself, "I know that's not real." How many days were you able to do that this week? Well, so it sounds to
2: me like that very simple statement that we sometimes hear about looking at the the activities in your life as being half full rather than half empty. Mm-hmm. And just that that different mindset, um, do you think that this promotes hope in in individuals when they start looking? at things that way or not, Kay?
3: Absolutely, I mean, I've seen the shift move from spaces where people had no hope about their future to spaces where they were envisioning starting a family, getting a job, starting their own business, getting married. And I mean, those are big wins, right? Those are big fun successes and things to celebrate but it's really all about those little pieces. Things over little, time. Right, those grains yes. of sand, those little yes. tiny grains of sand we put into that pile that over time become this giant sand dune.
2: So you really are talking about that post-traumatic growth the show has been all about. We're almost ready to end today, but I'm wondering if any one of our listeners are being traffed, trafficked right now, is there anything you want to say? We'll say the, we'll give them the 800, the 888 number again, but is there anything you want to say to them from your experience?
3: Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing that comes to mind for me is to remember that you don't have to identify as a victim of trafficking in order to receive services and healing your identity and what you hold and how you find strength and value is not related to your ability to gain services and so I just want to remind you of that if you're thinking that maybe this is something I'm experiencing Please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline, reach out to myself, reach out to our agency. Can you, you and please, can you repeat your email again so
2: people yes. know how to reach out to you, Kay? Yes.
3: Yeah, so my email is K Thomas. It's K-T-H-O-M-A-S at nclifeline.org.
2: And the National Human Trafficking Hotline is one eight eight. Eight three seven three seven eight eight eight, and the text is two three three seven three three. And I hope for all the individuals listening that this has been another poignant example of what else has been true. Um, thank you, Kay, for being vulnerable and sharing that you have been victimized yourself. And what I'm seeing in front of me and what I'm hearing is a person who's taken this experience and giving back to a community in such an incredible way. That you are my what else is true today, and please, as everyone goes out into the world, maybe find a person or something. It could be the sound of the rain, could be getting up in the morning and remembering what else is what is else is true in your life. And I just want to say, as we end as well, that my guest next week will be Randall Bell, the author of Post Traumatic Thriving, and he will share his wisdom of his years of responding to human-made and natural disasters all over the world. So I will, again, Kay, thank you for your participation and your presence. As I say to you, I'm a lot older than you and you have so much (laughs) wisdom for a younger person. I love that giggle. So everyone who knows you and people who are learning about you for the first time, you are a very wise person. So thank you so much. This is Elaine Miller-Karis signing off, Resiliency Within. See you next week.